Pack your bags, it's time to visit Las Vegas, America's capital for fun and entertainment. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hello everyone, welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps, I'm Stephen Maggi. Today's topics include a couple of things Las Vegas is known for, girls and music. When you think about the history of Vegas, the showgirl is always something that comes to mind. In a moment, you'll meet Grant Filippo, the CEO and curator of the Las Vegas Showgirls Museum, an incredible collection of everything involving showgirls from the early days of the town all the way till today. Later, you'll meet a hot new blues and rock group that are visiting Vegas for the very first time. Finally, your Vegas insider Scott Robin tells us about an only-in-Vegas attraction called the Wheel of Misfortune. In Las Vegas, if you're a student of what's happened here back, going back to mid-20th century, Las Vegas has always been associated with showgirls. It's a big part of the draw to Las Vegas. It's a big part of the entertainment. And there's an incredible museum in Las Vegas, and they're trying to go to an even bigger location that honors the showgirl and so forth and talks about its whole history going back to Paris to today and beyond. With us is the CEO and curator of the Las Vegas Showgirl Museum, Grant Filippo. And Grant, welcome. You've been involved in your entire career with showgirls and that sort of thing into what you do, right? Yes, that's true. I myself was a showboy, so, you know, I come from that background and working with all the shows. And then when I started producing my own shows, um, I still did them in the same style as the Spectaculars. Yeah, and there is something really different about a showgirl. First of all, just to kind of talk about kind of the history of it. it. It's not associated with burlesque or anything like that. It's something that's really part of a big show and that is considered an art form, right, going back to Paris days. Well, in reality, if you want to know, you know, my opinion on showgirls, it goes way beyond the Paris days. Um, you know, there were showgirls in Egyptian times with, um, you know, the pharaohs and all of that, but um, the more recent history of it did start in Europe, and um, many of the shows, like the Follies Berger and the Moulin Rouge and the Lido, um, they were very important towards the beginnings of this. And of course, then Florence Ziegfeld, when he went over to Paris and saw all of that, he turned around and brought them to the New York stages. And then somewhere along the line, um, they ended up, they credit uh, uh, different people as bringing them to Las Vegas. But the first um, dancing girls, I don't know that you'd call them showgirls, were at the El Rancho, which a lot of people think the Flamingo is the very first uh, hotel on the Strip, and it was not. It was the El Rancho, Mm -hmm. and the El Rancho had a line of girls that, Many people, it's it's kind of muddy on what truly is a showgirl. And there are, of course, people in the burlesque world that consider themselves to be showgirls, and we do honor them as well. But um, as far as the real true showgirls that um, were known for their beauty and and just basically being absolutely flawless-looking with or without clothing... Um, you know, that is more of a European thing that started. And then when it came to Vegas, it became much bigger because the shows in Vegas were way bigger than the shows 
in um, New York as well as Paris and England. Yeah, it's really an exciting thing, and I think we've known in this country, certainly since the latter part of the 20th century, the showgirl was considered like almost like you said. I'm glad you brought that up. Flawless. It was something where you would go, and it, it, wasn't there a certain like height requirement and so forth, that kind of thing, and just a certain look. Uh, kind of talk about that. What 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 defined the uh, Las Vegas showgirl of the 50s, 60s, and so forth? Well, the person who started the height situation was Madame Bluebell. Um, her real name was Margaret Kelly. She was a dancer that. Um, worked in the Folies Fougere in Paris, and she became the dance captain as well. She was known for having exquisite taste in women. Um, she had worked there, and then Miss Tinguette, one of the most famous stage performers, got hired to come into the Folies Fougere, and for whatever reason, did not want to deal with uh, Madame Bluebell, so she had her fired. And Madame Bluebell started supplying dancers to uh, movie theaters in Italy. And they told her they would give her a great contract if she would come up with something different, something more unique. And she is the one who came up with the height requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the Bluebell girls were 5'8 and above. M- many of her girls were 6 feet tall. And... Um, Anyway, she is the one who started the, the height requirement. And, of course, Vegas stuck to it very, very strong. Even the girls that I use today, I never hire girls that are less than 5'8", because it's just a tradition, number one. And number two, the costumes look better on a taller figure. Right, that makes sense. And, and I guess a figure is a particular type, too. I mean, it's it's tall, kind of statuesque uh you know, it's not a place for curvy girls, so to speak, right? I mean, in the sense of uh, there's no excess fat on these girls whatsoever, right? Well, you know, here's the funny thing. When they started out with uh, the showgirls in Europe, they did have chunky girls. They did have what we would consider chunky. At that time, they did not consider them chunky. Um, Through the years, that altered to where... The girls, you know, a lot of people get confused. They think of showgirls as being strippers, and so they think, oh, these women had gigantic breasts. Well, the reality is is that they had champagne glass breasts. It meant if their breasts fit inside a champagne glass, that was perfect. And the reason they did that, and normally most of the showgirls are 34B, but the reason that they did that is when the music stopped, they wanted the movement to stop. And if you had larger breasts than that, then there would still be movement going on after the music had stopped. Right, right, right. So it's kind of a strange reason why they did that, but, you know... Many of the famous showgirls that were in Las Vegas, many of those did not dance topless, the ones that had large breasts, like Felicia Atkins from Australia. Um, She was absolutely stunning. And I think the other thing people don't understand about a showgirl is they were trained, especially from Bluebell. They were trained how to be able to just stand on stage, breathe, and be so captivating that you were mesmerized by looking at this girl just standing there and breathing. And the walks that, the way in which they, you know, drug their 
foot and move their hips when they walked. It was very alluring, and it was a true art, and it's something that in our future museum, it will not only be a museum, we'll have a four to 500-seat showroom where we will show shows like they were back in the day, and we're a complete um, school where we will train people in all the arts, including showgirl walk, showgirl makeup, all that type of stuff that was a part of this. And even though there are no real showgirls in Las Vegas currently working on a stage, um, we will have them. And anybody that hires our company, that's all they will ever get is real showgirls because, you know, the difference is is that basically the training and the wardrobe because there are a lot of girls out on the sidewalks of Las Vegas that, you know, claim to be a showgirl and they're wearing about a two to $300 costume, if that. Right, right. Uh, real showgirls may not wear a whole lot, but what they're wearing is very, very expensive. Many of our costumes are anywhere from five to $25,000 per costume. So it's, wow. it's a huge difference yeah. than, you know, the typical girl in Las Vegas. Well, and what you've got at this museum is incredible. I mean, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars of artifacts and so forth. Kind of run us through. I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with it. they got to see it. Now, you're in a smaller location now, so tell us a little about what you'd see and where it is right now, and then we'll talk about what uh, hopefully is going to be coming on later in the year. Well, for over six years, it's been in our home, which is a 7,000-square-foot mansion. It makes it very difficult for people to see much of the collection. We have over 200 mannequins on display, but that is a minute amount compared to what we'll have in the future. Um, Right now, you have mannequin after mannequin, and you have mannequins blocking the other mannequins, and a lot of the heavily beaded and jeweled and sequined costumes, they're standing stagnant. They're not doing any kind of movement. So you don't get the real feeling for what they look like on stage. Back with more from Grant Filippo of the Las Vegas Showgirls Museum in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. World-class hotels, dining, gaming, special events, and more. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You may not realize it, but there's a source of renewable energy right in your neighborhood, and you're helping to power it. Today, waste management is using the resources at our disposal to create energy from waste. Enough green energy to power over one million homes. It's an idea we're proud to drive forward. From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. Forgotten Heroes, the independent film that Hollywood refused to distribute. They were asked to risk their lives in order to save their enemy. The producers of Forgotten Heroes are donating 25% of all sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. We need someone to go in there and bring them out. From first-time director Jack Marino, the home run for America's Vietnam veterans. They are Forgotten Heroes. Buy the DVD now at ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. That's ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. Are you looking to save money on your prescription medications? 
Are your prescription costs too high? Are you paying out of pocket for your meds? Or is your copay too high? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you've got to check out the RX Cut free prescription discount card. And getting your free discount card is easy. All you do is go to the website rxcutdiscounts.com. The free RX Cut prescription discount card allows you to get significant discounts on either brand name or generic prescription medications, and it also works on meds with high copays. There are no fees, no forms, no personal information needed, and the cards are active immediately. Discount cards are also good for the entire family, and they never expire. Again, to get your free discount cards, visit rxcutdiscounts.com. You may get the free discount card either by U.S. mail, email, text, or simply print out the discount card online. When you go to Las Vegas, you have to know what you're going to go see, and there's no better place on the web to go than VitalVegas.com. You hear Scott Robin, our Vegas insider, every week on the show, but Scott's got a lot more there. What are people going to find when they go to your site, Scott? Everything you need to know about Las Vegas from shows and restaurants and a lot of inside dirt that you won't hear anywhere else. And a lot of photos, too, and a lot of snark, right? (laughs) That is the case, (laughs) yes. You can't miss it. VitalVegas.com. It's a must when you come to Las Vegas. VitalVegas.com. He's looking for Smith, but instead goes down the middle. Chester, touchdown Raiders! That is the Oakland Raiders. No, not the Oakland Raiders of 2017, but the Oakland Raiders of 1972. And that's what we're talking about on a new feature called RaiderHistorian.com. You go there, and we have every week different highlights from years of the past, including a look back at Al Davis, the owner, all the great games, the rivalries, the philosophy of the team, and so forth. It's a must as the Raiders head to Las Vegas in just another few years. If you're here in Las Vegas, you got to know that history. And if you're from Oakland and L.A., you'll want to relive that as well. RaiderHistorian.com. We return to Vegas Never Sleeps. Here's Stephen Maggi. With us is the CEO and curator of the Las Vegas Showgirls Museum, Grant Filippo. Grant, you say that the new proposed location is going to offer even more than the current location. It will have entire sets. So when you walk into the Don Arden Gallery, you'll be in front of a set that looks exactly like the same um, set that he had on stage during a number Individual mannequins, and in some cases, the entire set will revolve. And that way you can actually see how the costumes played to the light. Of course, we'll have full video 
of each number that you're looking at. We'll have the sketches, any of the background materials that we have, including, you know, set and costume sketches. Everything will be there for you to look at, including the press. And it'll basically be a situation to where you walk in and it's just like you walked into the showroom while they were doing a number. And in the VIP tours, we will physically take the guests and have them stand in the set as if they were a part of the show and be, we will photograph them so that it will look as if they were. And of course, for a lot of the showgirls and showboys that are still alive, you know, it will probably be a very emotional thing for them because yeah. it'll feel as if they're back on stage doing the work that they did for so many years. It's an incredible experience. You know, people are always looking in Las Vegas in addition to gaming and entertainment, so they all want to go back to those days. What an incredible opportunity for people. I, I, I think it's fantastic. Now, as I understand it, you're looking at a building. It's the old Mormon church, right, which will give you a space for 30,000 artifacts, which, again, you can't possibly do. As big as your home is, you can't possibly do what you can do there. Right. Presently, we're renting for different warehouses where we store the collection. The collection, people think, also is just costumes. It's not. We have sets from actual shows that were on the Strip. We have curtains from almost every major showroom that was in town. We have the props from the Lido de Paris, as well as we're the only American company that owns legally the Lido Jewels from Ale Lido, which was Don Arden's show at the Stardust, as well as at the Paris Lido. And um, the Reed Whipple is the name of the building that's on Las Vegas Boulevard. It was originally built as a Mormon church. It has also been the Las Vegas City Hall. And um, there was a short-term that the Shakespeare Company was in the building. It's 34,000 square feet. And by the time we get done with the, the redo of the building, it will end up being over 70,000 square feet. Unfortunately, we won't be able to show all of the collection, but we will be able to show a lot. There will probably be anywhere from four to 5,000 mannequins on display. And unlike a lot of other collectors, when we collect something, we collect the entire number from the show, not just an individual costume. So that's another reason why we will have large sets where people can go in and see entire chorus lines of mannequins with glass eyes that are painted realistically so that it looks like the people are alive and well and standing on the stage. It's incredible, and people have to understand also when when they when they're hearing about these questions, I mean, these are from people like Bob Mackey and 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 people of that type that have designed these things. And you know, again, it's not just from Las Vegas; it's from around the world. And some of the famous people that have worn these things, you know, I I was looking at the list; it's unbelievable. People like Anne Margaret, Carol Channing, Raquel Welch. I mean, these are huge, huge stars. And of course, also um, there's the men too, Omar Sharif and Liberace as well. And I know you had done some work. Right. Isn't it in your history you did something with uh, Liberace and his uh, crew that, uh, you know, because everybody knows his elaborate costumes and so forth that he used? Well, I started, I started off by going to Lee's home 
and singing for him because I was a professional singer and dancer. And it was a rather interesting thing because it was in the morning, Vegas morning, of course, is around noon. And he and his um, cook were there making him breakfast. He was in a bathrobe. And basically I got there and he said, okay, kid, sing. And I sang for him and he thought I was great. And he said, you're going to be my next protege. And I was very, very excited. But um, I had just lost my opportunity to go to the Lido in Paris as a lead singer-dancer because of the MGM fire. So um, basically, I told him that I had a contract to go to L.A. as a model, and that um, as soon as he was ready for me to let me know, and then he got in trouble with that Scott Forson and all that craziness, and so that fell through. But ironically, the um, costume house that I ended up becoming great friends with the two guys that owned it was the costume house that Michael Travis, the designer for Liberace for the final 17 and a half years of his life, he built all the costumes out of this design house. Well, at the time, when I was working for them as well, they took my measurements and found out that I was the same measurements as Liberace, except for I'm two inches taller. And so they used me as Liberace's fitting model. So all those incredible costumes that you saw on stage, they were actually my hand-me-downs because (laughs) I wore them first, (laughs) and then he wore them after. But I absolutely, you know, loved and adored the man. And, you know, I just recently did a TV interview in his home, which was, you know, fun to be back in the house, even though I've been there several times since. But such a tragedy to lose such an incredible talent. This is the type of thing you're going to see there. I think it's really interesting, too, that, you know, a lot of people may not have heard of this museum. Well, you should. It was awarded the coolest museum in all of Las Vegas by Vegas Rated Magazine. And I think that's really important because there's so many great museums in Las Vegas. And I think this is a must-see. And especially if you're able to do what you're planning to do, and we sure hope so. Now, there's a way folks can actually help that, right? Isn't there on your website, is there a place where we can put in, like, why we want the or why the council should consider this? Because it's such a a great part of history. We don't want to lose it. Is that the case? Yes. If they go, there are two ways of finding it. You can go to our website, which is lasvegasshowgirlmuseum.com, and there's a way to go sign a petition there. You can also go to our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com, with the slash and then all together, Las Vegas Showgirl Museum. And you'll find the petition announced on there as well. You can also see videos and see the galleries. The galleries show you a lot of what's in our collection. And, of course, it's all free. That's fantastic. I hope people see it this summer. And then uh, hopefully next year we'll have you on again And uh, from the new locale. I, I, I can't wait. I think it'll be great. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. In a few moments, you'll meet one of the hottest new groups in the world of rock and roll, Sean James and the Shapeshifters. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. From the famous to the fascinating, in a climate as fun, fast, and flashy as Las Vegas, 
This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach that does so much more than just business. Logan, do you find that people come to you thinking about business and ended up leaving where it's really about their entire life? That's actually a great question because what I find is that people often come to me and ask, am I a business coach? Am I a career coach? Am I a life coach? And I say, I don't care what you call me because when you change any part of your life, so if we're talking about your career or your relationship, it's going to change everything. So when we make changes in one part, it touches every part of our life. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure. You can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. Waste management has earth-friendly plans that fit the biggest corporations and recycling programs to help smaller companies get started. We're there for you every night and on the job with you every day. When you put waste management to work, you get an environmental partner and big ideas for every size business. From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. To learn more, visit WM.com. Forgotten Heroes, the independent film that Hollywood refused to distribute. They were asked to risk their lives in order to save their enemy. The producers of Forgotten Heroes are donating 25% of all sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. We need someone to go in there and bring them out. From first-time director Jack Marino, the home run for America's Vietnam veteran. They are Forgotten Heroes. Buy the DVD now at ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. That's ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. Hello? Lisa, it's Janet. What's wrong? Oh, it's the bridesmaids' dresses for Lindsay's wedding. Oh, no. Tell me they're not fuchsia. Oh, they're not fuchsia. Then what? Oh, they're gaudy, aren't they? All ruffles and lace. <laughs> Great. We'll look like a chorus line. No, no, no. They're really quite simple. It's the material I'm most concerned about. Oh, I knew it. I specifically said no chiffon. I mean, it's so passe. I just don't it's think... It's not chiffon. Then what? They're made out of old yellow pages. What? I didn't catch that. It sounded like you said they're made out of old yellow pages. Yep. I'm afraid you heard right. It's got something to do with recycling and good karma on her wedding day. Oh, that's special. I'm not going to know whether a guy's checking me out or just looking for the number of a good mechanic. Funny. Very funny. There's a better way to recycle your outdated Dex phone books. Find out just how easy we've made it in your neighborhood. Call 1-877-2-GET-DEX or log on to DexNose.com. It's our last errand today, Jimmy. Just need to pick up some light bulbs. Whoa, there's so many. Did Grandma tell you which ones to buy? No, but check out the label on this package. It'll help us find the right bulbs. Does it really matter? Well, sure. The new light bulbs use a lot less energy, so we save money on our electric bill by using an energy-saving incandescent, CFL, or LED. How about this bulb? Now, let's see. We need to replace the 60-watt bulbs in our bedside lamps. That one is 800 lumens, so it should do the trick. I've never heard of lumens. Lumens tell us how bright the light is. The more lumens, the brighter the bulb. You know, Grandpa, you're a pretty bright guy. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty smart yourself, Jimmy. 
Lumens, the new way to shop for light. Learn more at energysavers.gov. That's energysavers.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Energy. And now, more Vegas Never Sleeps. Here's Stephen Maggi once again. If you're like me and love rock and roll music, but have a hard time finding new stuff that's really exciting and different, well, coming to Vegas on Monday, June the 12th at the Beauty Bar in downtown Las Vegas is Sean James and the Shapeshifters. With us today is the band founder, Sean James. He's just off of solo dates in Europe. Sean, great having you on. We're excited to have you in Las Vegas. This is a whole other thing. Have you always been like a rock fan? Did you grow up uh, as a kid just loving rock and roll and trying to bring some of that sound back? Uh, you know, no. I, I actually grew up in uh, gospel and stuff like that in the south side of Chicago and blues. And as I got older, I got more into rock and roll and heavy rock and roll and stuff. And that's kind of been the goal now is to kind of bring a new edge to it and a new blend to it. Well, yeah, and you brought that blues sound. That's what I was going to talk about. You brought that blues sound, which is really kind of cool. H- have you tried to meld that from anybody that you've heard in the past, or is this something that you really just kind of taken on yourself to find that new sound? No, no, I'm, I'm heavily inspired by people like you know Led Zeppelin and uh, old rockers like that that brought blues back to rock and roll and did it in a unique way. So I have uh, you know the, the influences go back to like the old blues greats like Sunhouse and uh, Robert Johnson and people like that, all the way up to Muddy Waters, Led Zeppelin. Um, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. I, I take influence from a lot of different genres and a lot of different places. Well, that's what's so exciting about your music. It's it's really, it's it's great because you've got that blues sound, but you've even got a fiddle in the background of this new album. By the way, the new album is The Gospel, according to Sean James and the Shapeshifters. I'm interested in, in what goes on in your brain, because i got a feeling you're one of these type of guys, <laughs> you can play with these things a little and really have some fun with it. Yeah, you know, a lot of what we've done in the past um, has been a lot about what I was surrounded by. And uh, when I wrote the gospel, I was living in Arkansas at the time, which has a really big bluegrass community. And a lot of the instrumentations and players that I found there were, um, you know, I had a banjo player and a mandolin player and a fiddle player and all this, but I wanted to bring it to a more rock and roll thing. So I decided to blend the elements of you know, that music scene in with what I wanted to do, and that's kind of the product that came out is the gospel. Well, I love that. And, I mean, it reminds me in a different way, of course, but like when Metallica went and played with the symphony, it's just so great to fuse those sounds together. You know, when when you decided to do this, did you have any idea in your mind, like, okay, this is going to sound this way, or was it kind of when you heard it, okay, I like this, let's do this, let's do that, and kind of just polish it, or how did that work? Uh, you know, it started with, I kind of did a one-man band uh, acoustic thing, which I still do, but it started with that before the band. And then the the layers kind of introduced themselves, friends I met, and it just started happening. And with the gospel, I think we knew that we wanted to make a, a heavier rock and roll record, but with uh, an energy that was a little bit different than other heavy rock and roll bands. You know, like, so I think we did set out to do something a little bit different, but really it came together when... After I wrote the songs and then I brought it to the band and those members, the songs then changed because of the layers that they would add or how, you know, they would envision something. So I think rough draft, yeah, we knew we were going for that, but we really didn't hit on it till we started playing all together and, with, you know, workshopping it and all that. Well, and I think people love the fact that there really is a genuine new sound and 
you know, you mentioned Led Zeppelin before, and it's kind of that thing where they could go a, a lot of different ways. It seems to me a lot of the rock right now that we hear is basically that one sound. Particularly, you can talk about metal now. You know, it's hard to differentiate it. This is kind of cool because it brings back some of these other factors where you can suddenly appeal to a mass audience with this whole new sound. Absolutely. That's that's kind of, you know, we just, a lot of my band members and me um, in the past have been in metal bands and heavy hardcore bands and stuff. And I think we learned an intensity from that that other rock bands with a more mainstream sound don't necessarily know how to tap into. So that's kind of, we, you know, and that's a good point you make. You know, I do, I do think it reaches a broader audience um, because of the blend of what we do, and it can uh, reach much more people and have more potential. But, uh, you know, also, like I said, I think we do it a little bit differently because we have come from a metal hardcore background, but then also have these other backgrounds as well, you know, with my voice and the blues and gospel type thing. And it creates for a unique thing, like you said, that I think can reach a lot of people instead of just being a one trick pony, whether that's like a death metal band or right, right. a hardcore band. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how everything has evolved and progressed over the last few years. Back with more from Sean James in a moment. Here's Sean with a new take on Bill Withers' Ain't No Sunshine. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone She's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Check us out on Twitter and at twitter.com forward slash Vegas Never Sleeps. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You'd never suspect that you could find natural beauty as part of a working landfill. You can. Today, waste management landfills provide more than 17,000 acres of protected land for wildlife habitats. Working closely with communities and the Wildlife Habitat Council, we can ensure there will be protected space for native animal and plant life to thrive. From everyday collection to environmental protection. Think green. Think waste management. With all the talk of fake news today, it's getting harder to know who to trust. Thousands of websites, millions of opinions, even the mainstream media has gotten caught in dishonest reporting. Now, if you're looking for information you can trust, why don't you try westernfreepress.com. At Western Free Press, they let you know where they stand and you can judge for yourself. No fake news, no feigned objectivity, just straight news and strong opinion. That's westernfreepress.com. When you go to Las Vegas, you have to know what you're going to go see. And there's no better place on the web to go than VitalVegas.com. You hear Scott Robin, our Vegas insider, every week on the show. But Scott's got a lot more there. What are people going to find when they go to your site, Scott? Everything you need to know about Las Vegas from shows and restaurants and a lot of inside dirt that you won't hear anywhere else. And a lot of photos, too, and a lot of snark, right? That is the case. (laughs) Yes. You can't miss it. VitalVegas.com. It's a must when you come to Las Vegas. VitalVegas.com. 
Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. My son Casey was a bright, fearless 20-year-old with a boundless future ahead of him. But in the blink of an eye, he was gone. While out riding a skateboard, Casey fell. He was not wearing a helmet. Our whole family wishes he was. It could have saved his life. I'm Captain Kevin Raffelli of the San Mateo Police Department. Parents, encourage your kids to strap on a helmet every time they jump on a bike, scooter, or skateboard. Think of my son Casey and use your head. Put a helmet on. It could save your life. A message from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. I had a sore in my mouth that just wouldn't go away. And after a couple of weeks, I went to my doctor. A sore, lump, or thick patch in your mouth or throat could be a symptom of oral cancer. My doctor told me I was smart to come in. He said that oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. It turns out I did have oral cancer. But it was caught early, and my treatment was successful. I'm glad I got it checked. That probably saved my life. If you're an African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Visit a doctor or dentist if you see changes in your mouth that don't go away after two weeks. It's important to get an oral cancer exam because if you do have cancer, the earlier it's caught, the better. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Time for more Vegas Never Sleeps. Again, here's your host, Stephen Maggi. We're back talking with Sean James of Sean James and the Shapeshifters. Well, and apparently people are really picking up on it. I mean, I know we've heard the music in some, like, for example, on a TV show, Yukon Man on the Discovery Channel. Uh, you've had other stuff in different places. Uh, you're starting to draw the attention of people. You know, talk a little about uh, how you break out of the pack, because it's not like the old days where you put an album out, you wait to see what radio stations play it or not. I mean, it's such a yeah. different world now, music. I mean, that's why I, I guess this tour and the touring you've done is so important. Absolutely, absolutely. You have to put in your time on the road. Um, you know, you release the record, and then in the beginning, I when no one knew me, when I first started releasing records, I would release them for free just to get people to listen to them and to start building. And I think in today's world, a lot of what, what goes into it is uh, a lot of social media-based because everyone can connect with their fans so easily through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these different things. But it also makes, you know, there's less trans, there's more transparency there. So you can actually connect and get to know who is making the music that you love. And so that's played a huge part in it has been communicating and being honest with the people that are listening to it. And then, like you said, just the constant touring as well. You really do have to, you can make a great record, but you kind of have to prove it live and on the road that you can do it night to night. There's so many bands that, you know, make a record and then get on the road and then they're not road dogs or they get into arguments or they can't handle the lifestyle. And I think that, you know, bands these days should know that you're in for a long haul if you really want to make this your lifestyle and your your career path and everything. It's it's not easy, but 
it absolutely is worth it if you love it. Well, I think you're going on to the right way. You know, we had Philip Bailey with us uh, several months ago of Earth, Wind, and Fire, and he was saying, you know, in the old days, you put out an album, people were dying to see it. Now it, it really is all about the tour. It's about merchandising, and social media is such an important part. So you take it. It sounds like you take it seriously, Sean. Like. It, you're checking that you're you're going back and forth, right? It's something you can't just ignore and let the music speak for itself, is it? I mean, in a sense, you can let the music speak for itself, but you know, I want to be actively involved uh, in a lot. So I run all my social media accounts. I wake up in the morning and sometimes have twenty messages, and I try to get back to them as soon as possible, just because I want to be real with people. You know, I think that in the past there's been this attitude with uh, musicians and particularly rock bands that have this like rock star mentality and it, it kind of disgusts me to be honest like i think that you know that that kind of mentality in that era is dead uh because we live in a world that's way more connected now and more savvy about things so why not be real with them and you know be genuine that's kind of my goal with it all is to just uh be a genuine honest person with the people that you know support the music period Absolutely. We're excited to see you in Las Vegas. I think people enjoy that. Again, that's Monday, June the 12th at the Beauty Bar in Las Vegas. It's a great, it's a great locale. It's down in downtown. Uh, just a couple of other quick things I uh, wanted to check with you. One is I know um, your music is being used in a number of different places, including in the blockbuster game uh, The Last of Us 2. That's a big yeah. deal. How did you get into that? Cause that's, I know that nowadays <laughs> that's a big thing. No, it's massive. And, uh, well, basically, I didn't know it would be in that game. I was contacted by email um, for, by Sony PlayStation about three and a half years ago. And uh, they were interested in using that song, but they didn't tell me anything. They didn't say what game, how it would be used, who would be singing it, this or that. So it was kind of a risk and a chance for me to do that. I was kind of worried at first, but, you know, I... I Anything helps because we're very underground and DIY. So, you know, I, I saw the name PlayStation and, you know, I know what what kind of a crowd that could reach. And so I risked it. You know, I said, yes, you can use it. And then come to find out, last December when they released the trailer, it was for one of the biggest video games in history. <laughs> Isn't that and great? <laughs> it, it's been massive, man. It's, it's done so much to help uh, get our sound and the word out there about everything. So, it, and, it, and it's weird, though. Like I said, it's, it was as simple as an email. I woke yeah. up one day, and I was like, whoa. Okay, here's an email from Sony PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an example too where you got to be a risk taker. You didn't know, you know, and but yeah, it, it was. I was worried because you know your song could get misrepresented or they could use it in a way that you don't approve of, and that's always a scary thing. And I normally don't, but with this one, I, like I said, I, I decided to take the risk because you never know the potential reward from it, and I'm absolutely glad that I did. Well, we're glad you did, too. And the album you got out, which is getting great reviews, it's The Gospel According to Sean James and the Shapeshifters, which is easy enough to remember. And is this, do you think, I, I'm thinking it's going to be your really move-out album where you're really going to hit the mainstream. And, and this tour it looks like you're hitting everything. Is that kind of what you're hoping to get out of this as you uh, hit not only the U.S., but then after that, Europe? Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that hitting the mainstream is a... Is, is a is a main goal of mine. I think the main thing is to make music that affects people and makes them feel something. And if a more mass, massive audience comes from that and can relate to it, then I think that's the beauty in it. You know, I'm never doing it for the success. 
truly. I do it because I love it, and I don't think I could be happy doing anything else. But obviously, it's always good to grow, and every year we've done this, we've grown, and uh, we'll see what happens, kind of. We're just going to keep plugging away and doing what we love and enjoying our time and meeting everybody and making new friends around the world and kind of just see what happens. Well, I think but, people uh, are going to love I it. I think there's potential. I think there's potential. Absolutely. Let's, finally, let's tell people on the web, they want to listen to sample a little of your music. They want to see where you're going to be and so forth. Where do they go? Uh, they go to seanjamesmusic.com, and they'll have all the links there to our tour dates, uh, to our band camp. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes. We're everywhere online. So, yeah, reach out and uh, listen to some stuff. Come see us live. It'll be a good time. We will, Sean. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate you. Up next, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, joins us to tell us all about the Wheel of Misfortune. Right now, though, another taste of Sean James and the Shapeshifters. This is Through the Valley. something you've always wanted to know about Las Vegas? Drop us a line at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach. You know, a lot of people may think this is all a bunch of psychobabble and that kind of thing, but in reality, this is stuff that on the surface may seem like we're going to explore our background, but actually we're just getting really in touch with ourselves to see how we can be more successful. Is that what you try to do with people? It is. So I'm not so interested in what's happened in the past. What I'm looking for is where people are now, where they want to be, and coaching always takes place in the gap. So what are the things, where are the places where they're getting stopped that's in that gap? And then when we move through those, they end up having what they want, whatever their goal is for themselves. Okay, we're all excited about it now. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure, you can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. I'm proud to call you my father. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of our fallen military. Heroes who made the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Hi everybody, I'm Tony Orlando. Did you know that more than 8,500 children have lost a parent in military service since 9-11? Our soldiers died fighting for our freedom, and their children, they continue to suffer the loss. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit charity that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. Their year-long efforts culminate in a special week of fun, friendship, and hope. 
We can never fully express the gratitude for the ultimate sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Please, you join me? Donate now at snowballexpress.org. With all the talk of fake news today, it's getting harder to know who to trust. Thousands of websites, millions of opinions, even the mainstream media has gotten caught in dishonest reporting. Now, if you're looking for information you can trust, why don't you try westernfreepress.com. At Western Free Press, they let you know where they stand and you can judge for yourself. No fake news, no feigned objectivity, just straight news and strong opinion. That's westernfreepress.com. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. Back for more Vegas Never Sleeps. Once again, here's Stephen Maggi. Time now for your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. You talk about weird things. Wheel of Misfortune. What is that? <laughs> no one will ever go there, but I love it. It is, it is in the middle of nowhere. It's, at a, it's in a place called Henderson, which is maybe 10 minutes outside uh, Las Vegas proper, outside the Strip. It is an abandoned mine. It is, it, it is, it's so strange. It's so a graffiti artist, I don't know, woke up, had some uh, bolt of lightning strike and realized that there were these big open pits. They're round, uh, used in magnesium production. I think it was magnesium. Yes. Uh, so, uh, the, the mine has been abandoned, uh, and this, uh, graffiti artist named Aware went out with a crew of his friends and have painted this pit to look like a giant wheel of fortune, but it's a wheel of misfortune. So all of the space is on this wheel. It doesn't move, but it's huge. It's 250 feet across. And so each space says, lose a job, lose your home. It's all the negative things that can happen. Uh, so they are misguided because, as you know, in Vegas, everything is good luck. You win a home, you win a job, you know, you don't lose anything. So, but it's, it is a little bit of a trek. It's uh, off the beaten path. And I'm thinking that the site could be toxic. I read online that this abandoned mine could be toxic. However, if you're only there for a minute, what's it going to do? You're not going to leave glowing or anything. You're not going to lose any teeth, hopefully. But it is a strange Vegas discovery, and it is a quirky thing. It's best when viewed from above, so if you're on a helicopter flight, have them take you over. <laughs> but, but you can very easily walk out there. It's right across from the entrance to, the, uh, to Lake Las Vegas, which is also a great place to go, despite the fact that it no longer has a casino. It's still a great place to go if you're into paddleboarding, and uh, it's a body of water. Uh, Celine lives there, so go say hello. She's always outside doing gardening. <laughs> and, but no, the, the Wheel of Misfortune is actually, it is, I love that stuff because who the heck would have even thought of that? Who would ever go there? 
and you just pull over in this gas station and they go, yeah, it's up the hill a bit. You pay them $5 to park there. They're, you know, they're capitalists, so they're going to take advantage. You walk up the hill and it's just this very strange, random thing in the middle of nowhere. Scott Robin's blog, VitalVegas.com, is a can't miss for people that love Las Vegas. He also has a podcast available at the same site. His ability to unearth scoop after scoop is just incredible. Again, visit VitalVegas.com. Well, that's it for this weekend's edition of Vegas Never Sleeps. Join us every weekend as we take you behind the scenes of America's playground. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. We'll see you next week for more excitement and energy from the desert. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. The two tight ends are lined up as tight ends. Back goes Darrell to pass. He's looking for Smith, but instead goes down the middle. Chester, touchdown Raiders! That is the Oakland Raiders. No, not the Oakland Raiders of 2017, but the Oakland Raiders of 1972. And that's what we're talking about on a new feature called RaiderHistorian.com. You go there and we have every week... Different highlights from years of the past, including a look back at Al Davis, the owner, all the great games, the rivalries, the philosophy of the team, and so forth. It's a must as the Raiders head to Las Vegas in just another few years. If you're here in Las Vegas, you got to know that history. And if you're from Oakland and L.A., you'll want to relive that as well. RaiderHistorian.com.